0: Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market the invest it best podcast is brought to you by wilson one of australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years all information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. My name is Ted Richards and this episode, we're gonna focus the discussion on the very exciting tech sector. We'll be joined by another special guest. Another expert, Ross Barrows, a senior analyst at Wilson's to discuss the tech industry, in particular, the valuations, the markets ascribe to unlisted tech companies compared to their listed peers. Make sure you listen right through to the end, as we'll be asking Ross to provide us with an ASX listed tech company where he sees some value. Ross, welcome to the Invest at Best podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ed.
2: Great to be here, and uh, super excited to contribute to the uh, Invested Best podcast
1: series. All right, let's start off with a bit about yourself. Where are you based, and and tell us a bit about your area of expertise? Yeah, for sure. So, look, look I've always
2: had an interest in financial markets. Um, you know, my first investment was buying shares in Tabcorp in nineteen ninety four after seeing a flyer in the you know, about the IPO in the Age newspaper. Um, obviously, how a how'd you modest.
1: go?
2: <laughs> Pretty modest investment, thankfully it went up over time and thought I might try it out again and that's kind of what got me started. Um, So, you know, fast forward quite a bit, you know, I've got a background in economics and finance at university, Uh, spent about four years working in San Francisco in the finance industry, and then came back to Australia to uh, undertake a full-time MBA. Um, So I spent 13 years at Citigroup, Uh, the back half of that was leading the small cap equity research franchise uh, and joined Wilsons in May last year. So look, I'm in the Melbourne office, uh, for Wilsons, I head up the technology franchise here uh, at Wilsons in Equity Research, and we work with private companies that could be, you know, up to two years away from listing on the ASX, through to you know highly successful, maturing growth technology companies that have you know, grown to become a member of the small ordinaries or
1: even the ASX 100. What I want to speak about today is you've actually done some great research recently that caught my eye, and I, and I want to kind of get straight into that. In this piece of research, you use the Bessemer Venture Partners Cloud 100 list. So for those that might not be familiar with this list, can you share with us a bit about who Bessemer are and the significance of this list?
2: Yeah, for sure. So Bessemer Venture Partners is a California based software as a service or SaaS focused venture capital firm. Um, You know, Bessemer say that their founders help lay enduring foundations to create companies that matter starting with a seed and like series A investments and and sticking with those companies at every stage of their growth. Um, They've had a a number of successful investments in what are now marquee names, ranging from LinkedIn to DocuSign, Twilio and Shopify. It also includes
1: Procore, which is one of its most recent IPOs. All right. And correct me if I'm wrong. So there's the Bessemer Venture Partners Cloud 100 list, but they also have like an an anti-portfolio list. So I'm, inter- I'm interested in, before we kind of focus in on the, the top 100, what are the requirements to make this anti-portfolio list? And uh, in particular, you know, who made it? Yeah, well, look, bessemer Venture Partners has, a,
2: as they say, a long and storied history, uh, which has afforded them incredible opportunities. Uh, but also, uh, <clears throat> it also says, in in their words, an unparalleled number of opportunities to completely screw up. <laughs> so, yep. you know, this is a, a, uh, a venture capital firm that's had incredible success. Um, but uh, the anti-portfolio uh, refers to those companies they could have invested in, but they didn't at the time for a variety of reasons. That could be from proactively declining uh, the opportunity through to its funds, just not having sufficient capacity at the time of that investment round. Um, look, some of the companies that they have on this list include like Apple in a pre-IPO round, Um, Tesla in 2006, and even Zoom, that we're all familiar with today—you know, a Series B in 2014—were all opportunities that were presented, but um, that they didn't pursue. But look, at the end of the day, like I like the fact that they acknowledge that they some good ideas do get away. Like it increases their relatability, and also some uh, shows their humility as well.
1: Yeah, so it's not so much uh, them taking a position on these companies that didn't meet their requirements. It's, it's them showing the humility to say that we passed on this um, and owning up to that. Indeed, they've
2: got plenty of uh, good success stories on the other side of the ledger as well.
1: <laughs> okay, let's go back to the cloud 100 list. What makes mm-hmm. the typical cloud business model so interesting from an investing point of view compared to, you know, the whole tech sector more broadly?
2: Yeah, look, it's it's a fair question. It's a trend that's been around for many years and, and accelerating. So the migration to the cloud has been a strong secular trend over many years. And as I mentioned, it's probably gaining in momentum more than more than the opposite. And companies are kind of taking the opportunity to migrate their technology needs. And that takes a number of different uh different forms, but it, it changes them from being CapEx, where they've got their own on-site data centers to OpEx. So it changes the uh, the capital and intensity on the business. And it also moves them from being on-premise to externally hosted data centers. And look, with the recent pandemic being an unpredictable but clear example of the value of that strategy where you are able to um, outsource something to a third party. I mean, one of the leading companies here in Australia is NextDC, which is a builder owner operator of um, independent co-located data centers. Uh, and there's certainly been a, a net beneficiary of that, uh, of that, as I said, a trend that has been in place but has certainly been accelerated by uh, what we've experienced over the last 18 or so months. But I think the ability to um, have something in the cloud and to be, have a, a software as a service or a subscription type revenue model where you do have just one kind of platform and one offering of software where you don't have too much bespoke or any bespoke in, in many companies, offerings if something does get improved then you can deploy all of those updates across the entire subscriber base so if one client decides to improve something well maybe they do embed that into the platform but the platform will then benefit that platform change or enhancement will benefit everyone simultaneously upon deployment and that's obviously a a much bigger benefit as well instead of having individual on-site or on-premise data center
1: did any australian companies make it
2: yeah indeed Indeed. So just a bit of background on the list. So Bessemer Venture Partners in conjunction with Forbes and Salesforce Ventures, they've published an annual list of the top 100 global, private, cloud or cloud computing companies in a list that they call the Cloud 100. Um, So this year there were two Australian headquartered companies that featured on that list. Um, They're almost the bookends, in fact. So design software firm Canva came in at number three. Uh, That's up from number seven last year and actually well up from just making the list at number 100 in 2017. Uh, Employee experience platform company Culture Amp ranked number 99. And I also wanted to call out um, Airwallex. So Airwallex recently moved its headquarters from Australia offshore. So it's no longer being attributed to uh, being an Australian company, but certainly had its foundations here. But out of interest, uh, Airwallex came in at number 58.
1: I should actually ask, who topped the list? Uh, Stripe, Stripe okay. was the number one. And why are they number one? Is it the valuation or is it more of a qualitative call in terms of the quality of the business? Yeah, so the, this is primarily a, a quantitative ranking
2: where it it ranks them in terms of their largest size. So by valuation, Stripe has the largest valuation.
1: Okay. And um, you did also mention there when you're providing us a bit of color on this, this list that they are all private companies. These aren't um, publicly listed companies, which I, I just want to make note of because in the chat, I'll be asking you how we compare this, how we compare this list to some publicly listed companies. Ross, this list has been going now for six years, I believe, and by no means is, is that a massive sample size. But are there, have there been any trends of note that have kind of happened over this six-year period?
2: Yeah, for sure. Look, one thing that I'd like to draw out is a metric that they use, which is basically refers to the annualised recurring revenue or ARR multiple. And the average ARR multiple for the the 2021 cloud 100 list was 34 times, not an immaterial number. And the median multiple was around 27 times. So just to give some context, you know, the average ARR in 21 of 34 times is almost 50% higher than what we saw in 2020, where that multiple was 23 times. And just to go back another year in 2019, that multiple was 13 times. So you've seen it go from 13 times in 2019 to 23 last year to 34 this year. So the strong company valuation growth not only comes from the strong revenue growth rates that are being achieved but also the multiple that is then being applied to those revenues.
1: And why do you think, you know, VCs and the like are happy to pay this increased multiple? Well, I think there's certainly a, a velocity of money in that um, you know success begets
2: success, which we'll touch on later. But I think where you do have over time, and these funds can be, you know, have have lives of you know up to seven years. When you do have exits that are uh, profitable, then there's incremental capital available to be able to um, to recycle into into new ideas.
1: Okay, and let's go back to the the whole list. Were there any sectors that were more strongly represented? than other sectors? Yeah, indeed. Look, fintech was the clear standout. You know, the collective valuation
2: of the fintech sector of the Cloud 100 members this year is up, you know, over three times over the past year, uh, from a collective valuation of US $45 billion up to US $146 billion. Um, in second place, or, or another, another one to note, is data infrastructure that was up 20%
1: over the past year to around 63 billion in collective value. And I'm also interested, what about the bar to make the least? Um, You mentioned at the the start of the episode that CultureRamp have have just met that coming in at 99th. How's that bar been tracking over the years? Uh, Let's just say it's not going backwards. Uh,
2: Look, the average valuation of the bottom decile of companies in 2020 was uh, about US 1 billion. But in 2021, it was the first year that all of the companies, not the average, but all companies needed to be unicorns for inclusion into that cloud 100 list. And just as a reminder for everyone, a unicorn is defined as a company with a valuation of a market cap greater than US $1 billion.
1: Ross, you've kind of touched on this. What do you think is the logical reason that private companies are drawing such high valuations despite being illiquid as it's usually the other way around where in a previous podcast episode where I spoke with David, it was was about the benefits of investing in PE. And that is where you can usually pay a lower valuation multiple because the investment is unlisted, but that's, that's kind of not what we're seeing here.
2: Yeah. Look, it's, it's an interesting discussion topic, no doubt. Look, look, one view, and it's more of a a historical view is that, you know, private company valuations should be less than public company valuations due to them being less liquid. And they might need to discount their valuation to compensate investors for that limited ability to liquidate those investments. Uh, But private companies have also historically been less mature and and less proven than publicly listed companies. And I think that's potentially due to them becoming public companies sooner than they do now. So today, the amount of capital available to invest in multiple capital raising rounds to support growth of private companies has, has likely never been higher. And this partially removes or reduces, I guess, the scarcity of capital. So that capital is far more comfortable being less liquid. So I guess today, you know, private companies can stay private for longer and they're now more sophisticated and advanced than many private companies that have come before them. And look, as mentioned earlier, with strong growth in the ARR multiple that's being applied to private companies,
1: well, that's also an incremental reason to remain private. Yeah. So if we're going back a a decade or two, some of these companies would have gone public much earlier in their journey, but because of the funding available, they can actually park that for a later period of time. And in your research, you compare some Australian tech companies that are public to the companies that are uh, unlisted that made the list. Did this comparison reveal anything? Yeah, look, it's interesting,
2: right? So let me give you like some colour around the research that we've done and, and some context, and we can take the, the discussion from there. Look, I mentioned before the average IRR multiple of the cloud 100 stocks was around 34, but the average was dragged up considerably you know, by the top quartile of cloud companies, in particular the two or three towards the top. So the median is probably a better metric, and that median is around 27 times. And as I said, I think it's better to focus on that Look, if we compare this median multiple of 27 times to the some of the stocks that are relevant under our, our coverage and look, we define a relevant company as having high levels of recurring revenue and disclosed ARR. Look, in general, the more proven the business, the greater the multiple. Um, look, in the analysis that we did, zero is the clear standout. It's multiple of 20 around 24 times. is about a 10% discount to the cloud 100 median of 27 that I mentioned earlier. And technology one has a multiple of around 20 times. That's the only other stock that's north of 20. Um, Interestingly, and as I mentioned before, the smaller the market cap and the more emerging the business, the smaller the multiple. So some of the other stocks that we do cover that are less than 500 million market cap had multiples that were less than five times.
1: Okay. And are there any specific companies that we can kind of discuss when you're when you compare these multiples from Aussie listed companies to to some that made the list,
2: yeah, indeed, there's probably uh, probably three that I could highlight. I mean, I'll probably spend more time on the first, which was Nitro. Look, we're very constructive on Nitro, and look, believe that the company is well placed to grow as the pre-existing secular trends of digitization and, and then subsequently digital transformation continue to be accelerated by the pandemic. Um, on our uh, estimates, you know, Nitro is trading on a market cap to ARR multiple of around 12 times, which is about just under half that multiple of 27 times that I mentioned before. Look, our view is that Nitro only really needs to participate, not dominate in the growth of the document management and digital signature categories to be genuinely successful and to also create good returns for shareholders. Um, Our positive views are predicated on probably three key elements. The first is their value proposition. In terms of value, Look, we think they're priced very competitively compared to their peers. The second is scale, you know, by offering customers unlimited volumes on some products compared to their peers that have volume caps. And thirdly, it's really, as kind of a one-stop shop. You know, it offers good functionality in both document management and digital signatures compared to the incumbents that have truly dominant market shares in the order of 70% globally in their respective specializations. So for Adobe, that would be document management, for DocuSign, digital signatures, but those players do have less sophistication in their non-core offering. Uh, the second thing is around increasing revenue quality. So Nitro's business remains in transition and it's focusing its uh, on its subscription business, which is growing strongly. And that's got three primary drivers, you know, expanding use cases with existing customers, winning new customers and converting their existing customers that are on perpetual license across the subscriptions. Um, but look, all of those are, are roughly, um, to, to, to speak at a high level, roughly equal contributors to growth, which is great, because you do want to see, uh, you know, new customers and also expanding with ex- existing customers. Just a, a quick data point on that transition. Look, we're forecasting Nitro subscription revenues to be sixty-seven percent of uh, of total revenue. Sorry, they were sixty-seven percent of total revenue in FY '21. And that's almost greater than three times where it was three years ago. And we think they should be getting to north of 80% with a good balance of, you know, between the carrot and the stick with customers. And then just thirdly is guidance momentum. Look, Nitro's had a very good FY21 in their first half. It's a December year in business as a reminder. So they've got FY21 guidance for ARR, revenue and EBITDA. But we do note that Nitro has since guided to revenue being towards the top end of that 47 million to 50 million dollar range for revenue, and our forecast of around 51 and a half is 3% above the top end of that range. And just to really give that some some context, you know, our confidence in that first half second half revenue split, you know, Nitro generated 24.1 million in revenue in the first half, and they've only got to generate 24.4 million to, to uh, meet the midpoint of that guidance, which is only 1% growth on the prior half. And to us, this just seems too conservative given their the net revenue retention in the first half was 114%. So bringing all that together, look, you know, we expect meaningful price appreciation for nitro over the coming 12 months, driven by that strong revenue growth, you know, improved revenue quality meeting, but likely beating the FY21 guidance and uh, the continuation of the global secular work from anywhere trend.
1: Yeah, as you touched on, it's, it's, it seems to be kind of like a, uh, a cross between uh, Adobe PDF software and DocuSign functionality. And I was just thinking is, you know, with whatever the remote working environments look like post-COVID, this is a, a tool that businesses will need. So the the total addressable market's probably only going to um, increase from here.
2: I think one quick observation, um, companies are kind of moving from being reactive in, with their response to this, which they had to be to becoming proactive. And proactive is got two elements to it. One, they want to be um, to be able to be more efficient, uh, not only internally, but externally for their customers. But they also need to be um, uh, to be competitive. If their competitors are turning to, to this type of solution and they're not, then there's also a, a bit of an impetus there to remain competitive. Okay, that's the first, Ross. Two more, who's next? Absolutely. So two others I wanted to draw to your attention that we both have overweight stocks on, as we do for Nitro, um, is Whisper. You know, Whisper is a cloud-based communications platform, you know, servicing corporate, public sector customers globally alike. Um, we've got a positive view on this one. It's predicated on three key things. Firstly, it did have a strong fourth quarter ARR number. Um, that, that was a good number. And while the second half revenue was probably a little bit soft than the market, was expecting that solid ARR figure does bode well as we hit into the first co- first quarter twenty two. The second thing is the opportunity to capitalise on the US. Um, look, they've got both the internal strategic mandate and the external financial mandate following its forty eight million dollar capital raising earlier in the year to expand its US market presence. Um, the US was only about three percent of group revenue in FY twenty one, but Whisper's end of FY twenty three ARR goal of twenty five to thirty percent. Is both material and aspirational, and uh, likely represents more than half of the sentiment towards the stock today, given the potential of that opportunity. And then, just thirdly, look, we also have seen the recent announcement of, um, of Jenny Pitcher as CFO. We see that as constructive and, and certainly increase the sophistication of Whisper's uh, you know ability to um, to engage with the market. So we're looking forward to that, and we think those three contributors. Will certainly help the stock uh, or position it well and it certainly has the opportunity to perform in the coming
1: three to six months. Yeah for those not familiar with Whisper I had a look into it you know it's a fascinating company from a product perspective I, I, I can't speak too much to the valuations which is certainly in your wheelhouse but from what I see it looks like they provide you know scalable customer support that's a far better user experience than uh, many of the automated emails or chatbots that uh, many businesses currently use. Ross, Who's the, who's the third company?
2: Yeah, number three we had on our list is Damstra. Um, so Damstra develops, sells and implements integrated hardware, but also software as a solution or SaaS solutions, I should say, in industries where compliance and safety are paramount. We have a positive view on this one. Look, the, the three things that we uh, we like to call out here, one is we do have some expectation as does the market around some contract announcements. Look, we we'll remain hopeful of positive announcements relating to uh, some large contracts that could include a win in the UK, a win in the US, and, and the expansion of scope or in scope, I should say, of an existing uh, customer. Uh, the second thing is the recovery trade. We do see Dampstra partly as you know a recovery trade or a recovery investment, and you know expect the share price to rise as the construction and mining sectors alike return to more normalised operations. So in a brief um uh, analogy you know nitro for example a digital signature really can be done anywhere. it's it literally as can it will work from anywhere um opportunity whereas with parts only parts of the damster business you know some of it does require their workers to be on site uh, and if there are any restrictions around that then that needs to be noted but look we expect that so uh, the the, uh, the world and uh, those sectors to return to a more normalized operations shortly and obviously, there are other parts of the business that are growing, and then just thirdly, in uh, in terms of valuation. So, look, we think it's an undemanding valuation. It's trading on a FY '23 EV to sales of uh, of below four times, which, as I said, we, we kind of see undemanding, and um you know, probably uh,
1: reflecting very good value at these levels. Um, I I just had a look into them. We we touched on Culture Amp at the start of the episode, which made that KIve One Hundred list, and it looks like Damstra solve a similar problem to culture amp around business safety and culture but damster have more of a safety lens for for workers in the construction and mining industries. you touched on now regular listeners to the show will be aware that i always like to kind of step away from investing for a second and ask guests what is on their other watch list ross we're both in Melbourne and the time of recording at middle of school holidays as well. Uh, and we're still in this lockdown. I'm interested, Ross, what's, what's been getting your attention away from the investing in tech world? Any books, TV series, podcasts that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah, as you observed at school holidays at the moment. So outside of the office, my three children are keeping me pretty entertained. Um, that ranges anything from you know, playing basketball to getting faster and faster at solving the Rubik's cube, which has uh, made a comeback in our household. Um, Look outside of that, currently reading a book called Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. Um, He's founder of the Behaviour Design Lab at Stanford University. Uh, The book's really about, you know, his view is that small changes can change everything. It's pretty practical and quite a good read. So uh, getting my teeth into that one. And for a bit of escapism, been uh, watching SAS Australia. So uh,
0: <laughs> pretty Gosh. good
2: reminder that mental toughness is arguably better and more important than physicality. So uh, good, good reminder. To keep your head in the game.
1: Well, you're, you're preaching to the converted there on SAS. Uh, one of the um, the guests, were contestants on the show, he's sure I actually bumped into him the other day and I couldn't help, but just grill him as to kind of, what it's like when the cameras are off. And he, you know, he provided a bit of insight to say that it wasn't much different. But um, I actually touched on this in the in the last episode with David and um, a, a listener actually made me aware of a, a show called Alone on SBS On Demand, that's similar to SAS, but possibly even another step up where it's it's all about 10 contestants being dropped in a remote environment around the world and they're just by themselves, not even a camera crew and, and seeing who can, Last till the end. And I was told to go straight to series six where they dropped where they dropped close to the Arctic. And um, it's incredible viewing. Highly recommend. It's on SBS on demand if you want to check it out. That's that. Ross going back to SAS, has there been a contestant that has kind of caught your eye and you've got a bit of respect for? Interesting question. Um for me it's Yana Pittman. I she's she's jumped out to me as to kind of someone that I probably had a bit of a view on pre this show and and you see a character and you go gee you're resilient you can you can handle a lot
2: absolutely yeah look I think they've all got their own characters uh
1: um or
2: personalities I mean they wouldn't be on the show if they didn't but um I think the other part of it too is uh it's always good to have a doctor on the team so yeah. uh Jana Pittman being a, a doctor <laughs> which I didn't realize until uh until I started watching it Um, can only be a good thing after some of the days those guys and girls go through.
1: Okay, that's it for another episode of the Invest at Best podcast. Ross, thank you for coming on. All right, Sid. Thanks for
2: your time and look forward to coming back sometime.
1: If you're interested in what was discussed, then best go to the Wilson's website, WilsonsAdvisory.com.au, and have a look under the Research and Insights tab. Another way is to go to the episode description for this podcast episode and click on the link where you'll be able to see some of the recent research Wilson analysts have produced. We're now four episodes in. If you are enjoying this show, please make sure you subscribe so you will receive all upcoming episodes. And I'd be grateful if you uh, share it with a friend or two. See you next time on the Invest Best Podcast.
0: This podcast has been prepared by Wilsons at ad- Wilsons has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilsons advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilsons may have an interest in financial products referred to to in this podcast.